Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, The Warlord, Battle for the Galaxy, or The Osiris Chronicles. We are a race, not of blood, but of ideas. Thus, all intimate physical contact between members of the engineer society is strictly forbidden. Our genetic experts are striving to perfect a method of single-sex reproduction, while advanced hormonal restructuring will eliminate any sense of gender identity. In this way, we shall eradicate even conflict between the sexes. You're crazy. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that explores little-known and forgotten science fiction television. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Uh, not too much. <laughs> I, never, I never know what to say. I, always, I I'm, Next time I'm going to have something really funny to say, like, what's new? And I'll be like, well, I I don't know. See, I still can't even think of anything. I grew an arm or something. I'm looking at our producer being like, didn't Jordan prepare a story this week? <laughs> our audience is expecting he, a funny story. He just came with nothing. So what did you do in the summer? Well, me and the family were in the Swiss Alps. His agent told me to prompt him with what's real. <laughs> and what's he doesn't real? know anything that's real. I think I need. I think we need another uh, catchphrase. Because we've watched so many shows. We're still doing tech war phrases. Yeah, it's the best one. It was the best one. Well, I don't know if it was the best one. I think it's, it's the most uh, dear to our hearts. We'll get into it, but uh, you'll be happy to know that I, I, in my notes, when referring to things in this episode, the only descriptor I could think of was uh, spooge. <laughs> so I, yeah. I think that's here to stay. Yeah, spooge was gross. I mean, there's some gross stuff in this podcast that I was, or in this episode where I was just like, yeah, that's, uh, well, he kind of just spooges out of there. <laughs> so we're, we're uh, today we're talking about a very weird, uh, I guess, a TV pilot, TV yeah. movie, depending on how you want to look at it, called... The Warlord, Battle for the Galaxy, or The Osiris Chronicles. Yeah, that was, I guess, going to be the original name of the television series. Mm -hmm. But whenever it was released, they had changed the title for the release to Warlord. Yeah, I know. It's And it's we'll get into it. But it's weird that they chose the Warlord because you think, oh, the main character is the Warlord. It, it's not. <laughs> He's not the Warlord. It is interesting. It definitely went through some work trying to figure out how to make this like standalone. And even in the version we saw... I mean, it did feel still like a pilot more than it did a TV movie. Well, let's talk about it. Do you want to talk about how this uh, kind of came about? Sure. Well, how about I say when it came out so people can adjust themselves to where it was? Because it uh, aired on UPN January 27th, 1998. And it must have already at that time looked old because it was made in 95. Yeah, it's crazy that they kept it around. I guess maybe they just spent so much money and they were like, we can fill a spot with this at some point. But it it definitely didn't look... Like Voyager would have been on the air by then, I think. Mm -hmm. It looks it looks much worse than that. Yeah, definitely. I was trying to think. I'm like, where where was I in '98? I'm like, I guess that's like grade ten high school. Yeah, I was probably watching Voyager. Really, yeah. really hoping it was going to be better than it was. I was like, oh man, I was that was like my prime time of television watching. But I guess I I wouldn't have had UPN, so it would never come across this. I don't think anyone had UPN. But yeah, this was like prime time. I was watching like X Files, Caroline in the City. Mad about you. That's what you're watching. All the best shows. <laughs> Grace Under Fire. Were you watching? Grace and, oh, some little Grace Under Fire. Yeah. This is I, I was uh, Sybil. Were you watching Sybil? Remember Sybil Shepherd? Oh, show? absolutely. Yeah. I see, I think this is 
probably the year I moved into my own room in the basement of our oh, house. Oh, yes. You've talked about that before. Yeah. And uh, I found the black and white v- uh, TV in our in my closet, and I just would watch everything I could get on little antennas in the basement. How was, uh, how was Sex in the City in black and white? Oh, Not Sex in the City. What do you call it? Caroline in the Caroline City. Caroline in the City? Great. I love that show. Yeah? I watched it all the time. <laughs> a big Caroline fan. Oh, nice. Did she, well, she was a cartoonist. Wasn't that the plot? think so i think yeah that's right because the whole opening was her little cartoon mm-hmm. character she was like uh if kathy had a creator yeah she was a real time slot hit <laughs> she really was yeah. and then yeah i think you're right there was uh everything else that followed that was uh what the single guy was that one mm-hmm. <laughs> with uh, ernest borgnine <laughs> oh yeah the, the single guy yeah yeah these are all shows i watched nonstop. so so this was made 95 and I, it was made by paramount was the production company and so what i read was they had made this in the hope of selling it because the X-Files had been big and every major network essentially wanted some sort of science fiction show. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what I read. So Paramount had made this show and apparently there was a bidding war for this just based on the script. And CBS, I guess, bought it and they made what was at the time the Osiris Chronicles and then no one was happy with it when they made it. But I did find, and I'll put it on Instagram, one article on Starlog that talks about this show and you can see they're like it's you know obviously someone has put it out they're very excited about making this show but it's like up there with like it's like the x-files and voyager and all these new things coming out it's like and the osiris chronicles it's like this thing's not going to make it you could just see in the article like there's no way this show is going to make it but it, clearly they were at one point pushing it to be this this new big show before and then it just kind of disappeared yeah it's funny they refer to x-files as the big one because this is i've read this referred to a few times now is like the sci-fi boom of the 90s because Star Trek, Babylon 5, like all these shows were hitting and working. Mm-hmm. So there's clearly a big push. And I think when we look at even our list of shows we might watch, so many of them fall in this 92 to 98 time frame because yeah. that's re- there really was a huge push in that period. So what I read was that after they made the pilot, CBS wasn't very happy and they were trying to retool it over and over. And so they ordered six scripts. They read the scripts and said, no, thank you. And just let it die on the vine. And what happened was it sat for so long that the rights went back to Paramount. And so then Paramount was like, what do we do with this? Maybe we can recut this crap into a movie. And they did that in 98. And that's when they put it on the network they owned, UPM. And that's how that aired. Oh, interesting. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, And you can see some elements of a good idea in here. I mean, the creative on it is actually kind of impressive. I was When I saw that, I didn't know anything going in. I'm sure you didn't either. And I started watching it and the director came out. I'm like, Joe Dante? Yeah, I mean, I know him best from Small Soldiers, but... <laughs> gremlins. You got Gremlins, you got the Burbs, you got... Uh, he didn't do that much else. But I mean, he's he did a, Gremlins. He does a, he does done a lot of stuff. But I honestly, I'm a big fan of Small Soldiers. Great movie. Oh, that's weird. Wasn't that... Uh, uh, who was in that? Wasn't that... Um, Tommy Lee Jones was this little, that's, that's was a little was. soldier man. And But wasn't it Phil Hartman? Is Phil Hartman in it? Phil that? Hartman's in it. Mm, yeah. It's a great, a good, good cast. Fun little premise. Hmm. And I don't know how much you looked into it, but if you watch this series, the editors from Small Soldiers, the DPs from Small Soldiers, this movie was shot the same year, or 98 is the same year Small Soldiers came out. Maybe they just shot this on the weekends. <laughs> so I think these, I think he pulled that entire crew with him right. over to this project because uh, the number of people who have worked with him before, but really on Small Soldiers and this thing, it's, it's really weird, a weird crossover there. I was even looking at a few more of the people involved, like we'll get into it, but this is clearly borrowing from other 
science fiction franchises. Even the production design and costume designer both have worked on Star Trek. Like they they were right. like pulling in people from these like big franchises trying to like give it that appeal, I think. And it really worked. I mean, <laughs> it has its problems, but yeah. I mean, we'll see. And did you see the did you see who wrote it? Yeah, it was uh Caleb Carr, who I don't I I know kind of who he is. I know he wrote The Alienist, which yeah. I I never have read or seen the show, but I know that's that's a big hit for him and and uh, I did read a little bit about him on this production and he was very unhappy. At one point, he w- w- didn't edit the writer because he just really disliked it and he and apparently he was important in the trying to keep this going like he just kept pushing it and he was still working with paramount when it was made into a um a tv movie he was just like he really wanted this project to go i guess it was a bit of a baby for him oh, interesting yeah he's primarily a novelist this was one of his few tv writing gigs so obviously he had a lot of care behind it if he kept going with it i don't know i, I the feeling i got at least from what i read was that it wasn't what he wanted for for either the maybe the budget didn't match up to what he had originally written or for you know obviously the various things that can go wrong with these sorts of things but uh he was not happy with well it sounds like went through a lot of iterations so it's gonna it's gonna degrade over time uh fun caleb carr fact i read mm-hmm. uh his father is lucian carr who's lucian carr he was uh one of the guys involved in sort of the beat poetry generation back with um one like of the, alan ginsburg and yeah stuff? with ginsburg and all that stuff in fact there's that movie uh kill your darlings based on they boil hippos live his dad killed that guy oh that's his dad. He killed a man during the Beat Generation, and then they all wrote things about him. They made a movie about him now. Weird. Yeah, I was just why like, do you, why did he kill the guy? It's a long story, but we have time. His the explanation that was widely publicized was he was a you know young man, teenager, and a older man at this university was grooming him and attempting to uh, seduce him. Mm. And then at a park one night, he had had too much and he murdered him and threw him in a, in the lake or river. Well, you know what? We've all been there. However, I also read a few things that say uh, perhaps that's not true. And that was just the uh, narrative he was able to spin. But hmm. who's to say? It happened so long ago. And now there's a movie starring Daniel Radcliffe. So that's the truth now. Well, there you go. So um, I have a few things and I'm sure you have some stuff too. Do you mind if I give you a couple of reviews of this? Yeah, go for it. Um, so I read a few and I'll just give some quick ones. And again, this movie is got a lot of the, there's got some fun elements of this, but it also has a lot of the problems that we've seen in a lot of these TV movies. Um, so most of the reviews are actually kind of mixed that I read, but I'll just give you the ones that I kind of liked. This one says, it's a bit flat and the plot reads like a summary for a Nintendo game. I like that. Hmm. This one says, like many potentially great sci-fi flicks, The Warlord suffers from many problems caused by its starvation budget. Which hmm. I, I don't agree. You don't agree with that? I think it had a huge budget. Yeah, well, I read that the budget for this was $10 million. Yeah, it looks good, I think. For, for what it is. This one, I think you'll like. This review, El Stinko. <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's all you need. And then and then this one, I'm going to read word for word if you indulge me. And the review has the headline, Poor Film, Poor with an E, as it's not spelled. Um, Where's and, the E? P-O-O-R-E. Okay. I thought it was maybe P-O-E-R. <laughs> Pure Film. Um, okay, so here's the here's the review. Hello, saw this film and do not like it so much. Was a cheap film with cheap performance. This story is quite okay, but it seemed a bit strange to me. Nice is that one antagonist is not an one-dimensional as it seems to be always. Only the CGI was okay for me and the sister seemed very nice. She is so smart, love it. But this film has no real ending for me because the film is short. It looks that they ran out of money. Looks like a part two to come, but there is none. What do you think of that? It's very nice. I read a few comments about it too where a few quite a few people have been like it seems to end very abruptly and where's part two and I, a lot of people 
Yeah, seem to want to. I read don't a few too. Seem like, to understand what they're watching. Yeah, I know. I saw the same thing. Like, oh, I really want to want to see what happens, which I think is a little weird because I don't know if the stakes are set so high that you're like, I gotta know what happens at the end of this. But some people felt differently. There were certainly people I ran across too who were really trying to find where the rest of the story was. Even though, yeah, it seemed like they may not have liked it that much. They really needed to know how it ended. Right. <laughs> it's like reading a really bad book and you're missing the last page or something. You're like, oh, I need to know. <laughs> Who killed the guy? It was the butler, I think. Yeah, no, it was that guy's dad. <laughs> What's his name? Joe Carr? What's his name? Lucian Carr. Yeah, he's the one who did it. <laughs> All right. We'll do the IMDb summary and kind of get into now. But uh, we kind of skipped over this. I'm going to go back to it just for fun. This is uh, where we were in the world. Oh, yeah, okay. came out. I've only got one thing because it wasn't a lot happening that was like super noteworthy around January 27th. But I thought this was appropriate for our show. On January 12th, 19 European nations forbid human clothing. Hmm. Yeah. Is that still, is that still, um, I don't know. Uh, I would not relevant. Is it still happening? Like, are you still not allowed to clone people? I do think there are still rules around that for sure. But I was like, yeah, that's, that's like a thing we'd have to deal with on our show. A lot of human cloning. I got all my money ready to put in human cloning. I gotta wish they would drop those regulations. I don't know how much 12 bucks will buy you, but <laughs> anyway. Here is the IMDb summary for The Warlord, Battle for the Galaxy. A galactic civil war has led to a new dark age. Thief Thorpe seeks help from a former rebel, now a warlord, and a former general who wishes to rebuild the Galactic Republic to save his missing sister Nova from mysterious aliens. Now, I'm, I'm glad in that summary that it tells you that his sister, it's his sister, because when I watched for the first like 20 minutes, I thought it was his daughter. No, they say it right at the top. Did they? No, oh, yeah. Oh, I missed it because I was like, I, the relationship seemed like a father and daughter. Well, that's it. There's a narration right at the top here where we kind of get this introduction to the world of the show or seeing shots of the galaxy, shots of the universe, and sort of talks about how 300 years ago, Earth civilized the galaxy, created this big galactic republic that basically was a perfect society and there was no one to oppose it, but internal divisions ended up tearing it apart. And the sort of universe is in a toss into sort of a new dark age. Mm-hmm. And in that conversation, they talk about Thorpe, our lead character, played by John Corber. Corbett. Cor- Corbett. I Corbett. Think. Yeah. Thank you. Corbet. Corbet. I think it's Corbett. Uh, he talks about how he and his sister were uh, abandoned by their family on this planet. They had like a ton of kids mm-hmm. and he, they left him and his sister on this planet and kind of went off. And now it's just been the two of them living on their own. Probably Irish. <laughs> Space Irish. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny, this whole sort of setup and backlog, kind of Star Wars-y. Like the, there's, oh, yeah, there's, there's more than a few shades of uh, this, Star Wars in this. The first, like, maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes of this thing really is, is, is cribbing a lot of notes from Star Trek. Even when we start off... Star, like, Wa- Star Wars. Sorry, thank you, Star Wars. Even when we start off here, John Thorpe, our hero, comes across uh, like a floaty hover car being pillaged by bandits, I guess. It looks very much like something on Tatooine. Yeah. The car looks like it's from a Star Wars, maybe. He goes in and kind of rescues the woman who has been attacked. Her husband's been killed by these bandits, and now they're gathering her their their things out of the car. And what I liked was, one, the uh, we'll call them bandits. They, they're, like, addicted to, like, hyposprays or whatever. They yeah, got, they've got they hypos like little, with green goo they shove into their neck. And I think the woman he was saving should be played by Marissa Tomei. Well, you should talk to Dio Dante about that. Because that's guess. a Joey Dante special. She's in all of his things. Who that that woman? Yep. He puts her in everything he does. Really? Yes. Oh, there you go. Well, I I remove my request. For she Marissa was in Tomei. 
small soldiers. Was she? Yeah. Hmm. Anyways, but I agree with you that there's they really crib from a lot of science fiction, and it's not that's not a bad thing because it's you know if you take from good things you can make something fun. I don't know if it all jives in this. We'll call it TV movie, but uh, yes, this is this beginning is very Star Wars esque. Yeah, and what we see is he's a hero. He. Uh, Saves her. She tells him he's she's got some valuable like rocket fuel. I think they call it uh, cordonium or something. Yeah, something stupid. But sure. and he's going to be able to use that to trade and barter with. And in fact, at some point, he has to shoot one of the uh, bandits who's very high. He, she, he he's not sure if he's seeing a dream or not. He's so high. Yeah, he does the thing post. where he's like the guy's like, "Who are you?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm not even here. I'm just part of your imagination." Then he like shoots the guy. But did you notice what he shoots him with? It's basically Jake Cardigan's gun. I thought the exact same thing, yeah. It's like a pulse gun that just like kind of gives him a little push. It just knocks it knocks people over. Very funny. This is a very popular thing for a hero to have in science fiction. It doesn't kill you. It just gives you a little push. <laughs> yeah. But this is sort of introducing our hero. He's, he's a bit of a thief and conniver, I guess. He uh, does what he needs to survive and to keep his little sister, Nova, alive. Yeah. Now, she's a bit of a child savant, maybe? Yeah, they, they, they push that she's... I didn't know at first if it was just sort of thing that all kids were like this because a really good education system. But I think the, the what they're trying to push is that she's like a mini little genius. Yeah, she's like built a space shuttle or a transpod, I believe they call it. She has a little matrix, which is the home computer, which she deals with. And they call it the brain matrix, don't they? Oh, is it the brain? Ma- yeah, got, it yeah the brain, brain matrix. That's yeah. a good name. That's a good name. I liked it. it too. But she's sort of the opposite of Thorpe, who's basically illiterate. Yeah, I, I wrote our lead is semi-literate. That's new. Now, what I assume is that Jake Cardigan also couldn't read, but they didn't make it explicit in the show. But this is our first time we've had a lead who can't read. It's weird that they even pointed that out. Well, I think it's because it is it is this dark age and they're trying to really drive home how smart she is. And it, you're right. You mentioned you thought it was her his daughter. There's a huge age gap between them. She's nine, maybe eight or nine. And he's like, what, 40? I mean, yeah. John Corbett, I think he they're trying to imply he's like 22 uh-huh. but he he yeah he looks well over 35 yeah, yeah. and it was a little confusing i mean he's a very charming actor i don't know if he was the right person cast in this role again this is one of these hard lead roles where we've mentioned it before i think there's a little bit of a jake cardigan effect of we're just supposed to like him just because this is not as bad as some of the ones we've seen before he's not as bad as what's his face from beyond Westworld or whatever but there's nothing terribly i mean they do that whole opening scene where he saves people to be like oh he's a hero we have to support him but i don't know did you do you think he was good in the role yeah i oh, actually did like huh? john corbett in and the role. Was, okay i i think he has a natural charm that like makes it work i i mean i think maybe some of the problems stem from miscasting age-wise they maybe should have done a rewrite when they put him in there against this like nine-year-old as his sister there's a there's some things that probably could have smoothed that transition over hmm I felt overall like he's, you know, he doesn't get a lot to work with, but he's basically a hand solo type. Like, yes. That's what he's doing. And they've at least cast someone with a natural charm in order to pull that off. Even though um, the apartment or house they live in is very much like something from Star Wars, like Tatooine, like sort of these rounded doors and rounded like ceilings and all these sort of things. And I, I didn't actually mind the sets like they everything has that. It's kind of just a fun science fiction look like some of it looks a little better than others. Some of it's a little bit cheesy, but I'm, I was fine with it all. At least it, they tried to create a, its own world. I mean, we'll keep coming back to it, but I, I think the production design overall was pretty solid. I mean, they're definitely cribbing from other things a lot, but it's a lot of thought went into it. It all looks really good. I, I don't I know mean, if it looks really good. I think a lot of it looks quite good. I mean, maybe not all of it's as inspired as it could be. Right. 
But and, you know, I think sometimes when they have to do a big outdoor set like we're about to go to, it's it's tougher because they maybe don't have, you know, they have a lot of money, but maybe not quite enough money to do huge, huge expanses. Right. And they've had to maybe cut some corners. They're like right now, Thorpe takes this uh, cordium, the material he got from the car to this like crazy market, which feels something like from medieval times, but full of aliens. Yeah, I, I, I liked it. I liked that they it was one of these world building kind of scenes. And it really it's him going through, yes, like a, a medieval market or, or one of these. I don't want to say European market, but something where, you know, there's a lot of vendors in the street and everyone's selling their wares and some of the wares are, they really push it. There's a lot of prostitutes. If, um, if it weren't for the aliens, you could see Jesus coming through to throw the moneylenders out of the temple. Like, right. It yes. It looks like it's from that era. So it's anarchistic. What's the word I'm looking for? I I don't know. It's 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 like out of time. Like it feels yeah. like you're in the future, but what you're seeing is something so far from the past. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't look like everyone's doing terribly well is what I think they're, you know, they're all sort of outside this. I guess it's a temple or some sort of, I don't know what they call it in this. Do you know what they what they refer to it as? Because they talk about that there's like a lot of educational materials and stuff in this they building. They call it the archives at some point. Archives. And this is where the warlord sort of holds court, basically. He seems to hold it. I mean, and this is maybe one of the problems is that they clearly couldn't afford to do the actual archives inside. So all you ever really see is the steps up to it. Yeah, it's funny because they they mention it, and one guy, one one guy at one point, it's like, "Oh, we need to get that thing from the archives." He's like, "Yeah, I'll go get it," and he just like disappears, and then comes back out with the stuff. You're like, "Oh, I could have seen that cool set," and they're like, "No, no." He just yeah, I like, "There's a cool thing over there, guys." No, 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 don't look at it. Don't look at it. I'll be back. I can imagine probably the writer has this like had written a great idea of like the super technological like storage space for all of society's technology in this dark ages to keep it safe, but they probably just. It was probably an expense they could spare. I think you're right. I have a I have a feeling that this was supposed to be a bit of a centerpiece of this world of everyone is sort of living, you know, hand to mouth and everyone's kind of in rags and their wares. But then you have this very advanced sort of uh, where all the money is going into this one place. But you you only kind of get a sense of that from what you're seeing. Um, but I guess the point is that we get is that what's the character's name? Our lead Thorpe Thorpe. He's going through and people are sort of like, do you want this or do you want that? And he's like, no, I'm on a mission. So he's going to go see warlord, uh, Sean Shane. It's, they pronounce it Sean though. And is it, it but, Shane? Yeah, no. but Shane? The, what, what, well, why I thought it was funny is because I was like, you named your warlord Sean, but I looked it up and it's spelled Z, Z excuse me, X I A N. So it's like really Jean, but they uh, maybe maybe I just misheard it. But I just I thought it was funny. Like it's like you might as well call him like Warlord Derek, or sure. Warlord I like I was, Warlord I, Jeremy. I enjoyed hearing Sean over and over again. I was like, yeah, yeah. Warlord but he's going he, he's going there because he wants to trade this thing he has to get money so he can. What does he trade for, Jordan? Oh, I wrote it down. I, I'm sorry, I just looked at my one note and I said lots of intergalactic horrors in this area. <laughs> oh, and there's one guy doing dentistry on the street. We didn't mention that. Sure. One guy was pulling out someone else's tooth. Yeah, I like, like that. See, it's the olden times. Oh, cordium. Is that it? That's the name of the thing he's trading. Okay. Well, I don't know what it is. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what he's trading. He's getting 20 months worth of rations for this cordium. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's getting eight Centuri Sapphires. Mm-hmm. He's getting 60 Ion Bursts for his Republican Service Automatic. And he's getting 12 ounces of refined platinum. I just I just knew that he was getting... He was uh, trading cordium. He's trading that cordium. And... Uh, this is worth a lot because he's getting a lot of stuff. It's, no, I mean it's a good it's a good trade. Shane's not there. Shane, Sean. I thought it was Sean, but we can go with Shane. It doesn't That's really fine. matter. I don't know. Sean's not there. Our warlord is not there, so he does this with an underling who's there, and uh, he kind of gets a pulls a better deal because he's so crafty. Yeah, 
So with these spoils on his way out, he decides to buy his little sister Nova present, something she's been asking for for a while. Oh, yeah. What was it, though? I don't know if I wrote it down. She bumps into Dick Miller. <laughs> Do you know this actor? Yeah, he's he, the, the uh, he's the guy from he was in both Gremlins movies. The, yeah. Yeah. He's the neighbor. He's he's just there as a peddler selling bio crystals. I liked it. He's got basically uh, I don't know what you call it, like some sort of rig on his shoulders that I don't know how how would you describe it. Imagine if you strapped an IKEA shelf to your back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's walking down the street with it. See, uh, these sort of things I liked in this movie. I like the silly, uh, like yeah, that's how that's like how he a, sells stuff. He's like a medieval peddler. Yeah. Uh, in, in this futuristic world, and he sells her uh, him a bio crystal, which I guess is a pet in the future. It, was that what they were implying? Oh, yeah, because they say at one point, I liked it. He says to his uh, sister, I think she said she wanted a pet or something. And he mentions how, oh, before the Republic fell, people had pets, but now they don't have pets anymore. I was like, why couldn't you have a pet? Just no, everyone's so poor. Who can afford it? You're going to eat it. Uh, I suppose. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I think Dick Miller here even says it's like, it's the most beautiful pet you can have. Like, it gives you so much warmth and love, but and it's kind of just a glowing crystal he holds. And mm-hmm. I wanted to know more information. But yeah, he trades Dick Miller all of the platinum he got. Yeah. It was very funny. He's like, I'll give you 12 ounces of platinum for that. And he's just like, refine the platinum? Yeah, you don't want the, uh, the unrefined. That sounds terrible. But when he gets back home, there's a big surprise. The big twist of the first act. Yeah, old Susie's gone, whatever her name is. Nova. Nova, yeah. How could you forget that? Name? Nova. I, I, I have a problem with names. Um, Nova's gone. And we now get to what is basically the plot of the, of the show, which is... His sister's gone, and he's got to find her. That's basically the plot. Yeah, he's try- trying to find out what happened to his sister. He he turns tail and goes back to where he just was, the steps of the archives. Mm-hmm. Finds Warlord Sean, who's just returned on his ship, the Daedalus. And Sean and him have a very interesting relationship. They have a somewhat antagonistic relationship. And what it seems like is that Sean is the warlord of this planet. He's ruling it. And for whatever reason, he really likes... What's his Thorpe. name? Thorpe. And, but Thorpe is sort of like that bad boy like he doesn't really have time for stuff but at the same time he sort of sees him a little bit like a usurper a little bit so they have this semi-antagonistic relationship is that how you kind of felt it definitely thorpe does not like sean i think that's clear but sean seems to yeah he's concerned about this man who has a bit of charm and kind of is a bit conniving but he also seems to like really like and respect him too. Like he kind of is like an older brother looking down on a younger brother. But he, he also mentions that everyone that works for him is an idiot. And he's just desperate to talk to someone who might have some intelligence, which I thought was kind of funny. It is true. Like he's like, I enjoy talking to you. It's fun when you come by. I don't want you to screw me, but keep coming by. Yeah. And so that and they kind of play with that relationship through this. I don't know if it always is. Uh, it always entirely works because I think sometimes it's like it would be just nice to have a proper villain or not but i like that they're doing this thing where they're playing in the shades of gray where you don't really know where well, everyone stands like the review said it's not a one-dimensional villain is that what the review said yeah the one you read out loud i i only i only was laughing at how bad the grammar was so i don't even remember what the content <laughs> but I, I i weirdly the through the bad grammar i think they're right it's like what we see is you expect this guy just to be like i'm an evil man i'm a warlord of a planet and like clearly take advantage of people but there's some charm and some and there's some back and forth between the protagonist and the antagonist it really works and there's a lot of shades of Riverworld, which we watched way back the same sort of thing coming on a planet uh there's a warlord ru- ruling things but in that the warlord was clearly the bad guy he was 
you know, he wasn't going to team up at a certain point. Obviously, there was other switches in that, but it was funny how there's a lot of shades of that too. Sort of, sort of the same tropes are happening. It's true. They're they're using kind of that survival of the fittest trope of science fiction, where there's mm-hmm. like one guy on top and the little guy has to rise up against him. Right. Although, really surprisingly, not the way the show goes, but that's definitely the setup anyway. Sean agrees to help Thorpe out. He's going to sort of scan the planet for Nova with his ship. In return, he's going to take back the sapphires that. We're just like, I like that everything Thorpe got 10 minutes ago, he's just kind gone. of like given away. You can see you can see why they're so poor. They've, he's, they've he's tracked just, everything he yeah. spent. There's a ledger. We all <laughs> keeping track at home. Yeah. You're like, hold on. Uh, how many uh, dilithium crystals did he buy? I'm saying dilithium crystals. I know that's not what he got, but. The audiences want to know where he spent his money. Yeah. But what really comes out of this is one of Sean's, Sean, Shane, Shane. Whatever you want to say. One of it, Shane's henchmen comes back and says, that uh, they witness Nova leaving the planet on an interstellar, interstellar transport mm-hmm. willingly. So she wasn't kidnapped. And this really uh, throws Thorpe for a loop. He doesn't know what to do now. Yeah. But when he gets back to his home again, I think he returns one more time to his place. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of kind of, a lot of back, back and, and forth. forth between this. He does bump into Nova's friend, uh, a pilot named Maggie Sorensen. And she is there to help out finding Nova because she's realized she's missing. It's very interesting, the age ranges in the show, because Nova, I think we're eight to nine, maybe. Yeah. And then her friend Maggie, who's 12? a spaceship pilot, I would say 14 to 16. Okay. Like, there's there's a big enough gap that it's an odd friendship. But then also, Thorpe himself, the brother, is now he, like... He's like 63 years old. <laughs> so, yeah, he's super old. But she's come to help find Nova, and with her, she's brought her grandfather, who's a former Republican general who mm-hmm. still dresses in his uh, general outfit. Yeah, yeah, I, I did like that. It's like, it's just so the audience knows that he's a general, right? Absolutely. He's a very important man and you should respect him. But what the general reveals is that he has a ship, an interstellar ship beyond description above the planet that he's held there since the fall of the Republic. The VC Osiris. What does VC stand for? I don't know what it stands for. It's the Vessel of the Republic. Oh. The VC Osiris, as opposed to the USS Osiris, I guess. Oh, and I just wanted to mention real quick that the uh, general is played by Rod Taylor, who I don't know if you know, but he's just, he's one of those actors who has acted forever, and he's just been in stuff like the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, and he just acted forever. And But I did read one little thing that apparently he was a last-minute replacement by Joe Dante. It was supposed to be Christopher Lee. Who pulled out last minute because of some sort of illness or something and not that there's anything wrong with rod taylor i thought he was fine in the role but it would have been a little bit different movie i think if christopher lee was in it yeah it'd been quite something with christopher lee in it it's funny a lot of the comments i read uh there are a lot of people who watch this are just rod taylor is that his name yeah rod taylor yeah a lot of rod taylor fans in the comments were just like oh rod taylor i love him yeah and so yeah and i, th- I think he's at the time was probably a bigger name than anyone else in the movie i think it was a bit of a get to get him especially as a replacement um i don't think john corbett was uh was i know he got bigger later because he was in sex in the city and stuff like that right, right but he had already done northern exposure at this point that's true that's true. i think he was like yeah maybe you're right pretty he was a good lead to get i think for this show and i i think i could be mistaken but i think there might be a few of these like sci-fi pilots floating around where he was attached and they didn't quite make it to series i think right. people were trying to put him in a role because you he has a certain aura that allows you to have a bit of a scoundrel that's likable right. so i think everyone they were trying to cast this right i think unlike some of the other shows I think they tried to cast it well. I agree. So Maggie takes them up to see the uh, Osiris. And how would you describe this ship floating above the planet? It's funny. The first shots, I couldn't tell what the shape was because it was like almost a directly on shot. But 
as we get a few other it's just looks like a shark i thought it was like a whale or something yeah it looks whale. like a sea creature it looks like a sea creature like it has for all intents and purposes fins i think they even call it fins in this don't they there are fins or there sails are, no they call them sails. sails that come up which i thought was cool the sails are um they refer to them as collector sails yeah which is a great sci-fi concept it's, it's collecting solar energy to power it itself as it goes and i i actually don't think i've seen that in a tv series yeah i thought that was pretty good and I don't know if the design of a shark or dolphin or whatever it was supposed to be. I don't know if that makes sense for a ship, but I like that at least looked different. I'm sure it's been done in a million different science fiction things of like another creature. But I was like, oh, at least it doesn't just look like a usual boxy sort of like what's happened with a lot of like sci-fi, like post Star Wars. Everything's just like, oh, it's just a chunky thing floating through air or like, you know, an alien sort of thing. No, great um, production design. Yeah. Like, I, the more I saw it in action, the miniature or whatever they used to create it. The more I like the ship, I'm like, that's a very watchable ship. I would enjoy to see yeah. that ship anytime it came on screen. But the ship, we should say, the ship is intact, but it's not functioning very well because it's being abandoned. That's the point you're getting with the ship. Yes. the uh, As they say, the tachyon generators are not functioning. And they're going to need to bring a special race of people who have somehow managed to hold into their technological ability in the Dark Ages. Yeah, they're called the Engineers. And they're the only ones who are going to be able to get this ship started. Yeah. And this was, I mean, this becomes more important later. But I thought at the time, I was like, what a weird stop and halt we're just putting in the show. We literally just stop and wait for these cloaked people who, by the way, also look just like the cloak fish people from uh, Riverworld. Um, they do have a lot in common with right, those fish Same sort of de de production design. They're all like kind of wet fish looking lippy people. Very uh, like... Somewhere between Freddy Krueger and a fish or something. <laughs> Anyways, like, they show looking. up. They show up, and they're the race of engineers. Um, not a lot of poetry, I suppose, on this planet. And uh, they just are there to fix. They fix things. So they come on. They're sort of just silently walking around fixing. They never really talk about why they do it or well, they, what their payment was. Do they, they do? They do, well, they do actually, because there's actually a scene between these things. This is part of maybe some of the problems of it. Is they go to the ship. Tachyon generators don't work. We need to bring the engineers on. How are we going to pay them? We jump back to the steps of the archive and basically Thorpe sneaks into the, onto the steps of the archive where I think this is where you can see how they had no interior set to go to. The warlord Sean's treasure chest is just sitting on the steps. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, the only reason I really mention it is there's one device I really liked is he has to like pick the lock or hack the yeah, like, treasure chest. So he like holds a cell phone to his head and he just listens to the clicks as he's like, I, I, that, I actually made a note too. I really like that. I wish those sorts of things I love in these because there's a inherently somewhat cheesy design to a lot of these things and not, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but I really wish they would up stuff like that. Like, yeah, sure. He has a weird thing. He device he puts to his ear and that helps him here to pick locks. Like, sure. Yeah, why not? I like well, that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, there's not much that obstacle. So someone's like, well, if we give him a little thing to put on his ear, at least it looks fun and techy as he does it, which is cool. But yeah, he basically breaks in. I forgot about that. Steals that a whole bunch of gems from him. And I, I, I like, because it was very short sequence. It really didn't need to be there necessarily, but he steals these gems and walks away. He goes back up. The engineers come these weird fish people. Although, did you notice this one thing about the fish people? The back of their heads are a glass dome with their exposed brains. Oh, I didn't. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. They're very, very. I'm like, woof, these, uh, these guys are real gross to look at. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, they got to really watch, like, concussions and stuff. There's also, and I don't know, this, this we'll see a little later in the show. We don't really see it in this scene, but I'm going to bring it up because we're describing mm -hmm. them. Kind of fish, Freddy Krueger-y looking things, the big glass dome in their brains out. But when you look, when the camera looks straight at them and their mouths open and close, oh, yeah. 
there's like a weird webbing over their mouth like it's full of like saliva or something but it's like a webbing that they speak through here's here's what i assumed it was i'm holding my hand in front of my mouth as i do that all of them really love pizza and when pizza comes out piping hot they get very excited and they eat it really quick and the cheese burns the top of their mouth and that's just the skin hanging from <laughs> it's, I, it was a crazy choice i love that i'm like i'm like what is going on with this guy's mouth yeah, every time they talk you, you you do see it it just looks like it's gross it looks like it's a membrane skin. there's yeah, like a membrane gross. covering their mouth as they speak through it uh, i've never seen that on a character sign before it was so gross that's amazing and there's another we'll, we'll just tease you there's another thing gross thing that's coming up which was by far my favorite thing in the entire show but it was another design thing that i liked but we'll get to it so the engineers with this payment power up the ship and now that they have it up the engineers take off and they're ready to go off into space and track down nova and we kind of get a first look at the bridge of the uh the osiris and Mm -hmm. it's very much like definitely inspired i would say by star trek the original series uh it seems rather circular and they're almost right in the middle is the captain's chair it seems to be the only real chair you see i think they might have correct me luke there's might be a few other chairs like near the front or around the sides there are stations sort of around the walls very star trek original series side with little chairs but yeah in the center is this one big chair which strangely is not the captain's chair but the pilot's chair oh that's right you're right yeah and and, it's and, and kind we of suspended and free floating with two joysticks yeah what you learn is that the ship is sort of flown very physically by the pilot like they move forward or they they tilt to the side or they move their arms and it's clearly that the ship is not it was an, it was an interesting concept because it seems like you actually have to really yeah. physically know how to do this to be able to fly the ship it's not it's essentially pushing buttons like, i don't know if that's the most effective way to fly a ship but it was interesting nonetheless it's like a very expensive gaming chair that's all haptic feedback right i don't know what that means but yes <laughs> haptic feedback what are you talking about yeah, it just like shakes and moves is that know? what that is yeah, it's fun oh. Fun, fun um, thing. Oh, and uh, they they should mention that that Maggie, the the girl, they they say at one point her skill, her flying skills are prodigious. Well, that's it. Uh, we've seen she can fly ships before. Like she flew them up there. She's been flying around with Nova before. And what General Sorensen reveals here is that he's actually been training Maggie as a pilot for years, just for this occasion. She was always intended to fly the Osiris when the time came. And and you now get the hint at this point that maybe the general has some sort of ulterior motive because i'm i actually thought at the point i'm like why would he be training her for all this time yes i I mean that keeps coming up the idea that the general is a man who makes plans and has been like running some sort of long game in the intentions of something which is our first indication here is i've i've trained my granddaughter for this but while they're getting the ship powered off sean is discovering that uh, thor has robbed him and he is very unhappy about it yeah it's, and this is where we kind of see their his sort of feelings towards uh, Thorpe a little more mm-hmm. because they're like, we need to go kill him. He's just like, yeah, we probably need to go kill him, but it's too bad. I really like him. Yeah, it was interesting. But basically what it is, is Sean is now Warlord Sean, Warlord Derek, uh, is just gets in his ship. That he the has, Daedalus. The Daedalus and is now following them. And it's like a not a very exciting chase, but basically he's... They get yeah. a fun space chase, yeah. I think, because they uh, don't have any weapons. For some reason, when the engineers restarted the ship, they didn't restart the weapons. So it's up to Maggie, basically, to fly them toward another planet in the system, the Caliban 9. But I should mention real quick, I'm sure you caught it. What is the What happens uh, on the ship automatically to alert, uh, alert the crew that battle is going to be happening? Oh, yes. Uh, instead of a red alert on the Osiris, you get war drums. 
Yeah, I, I kind of liked it. I've never seen that before. Have you? I did like it too. I was just like, oh, that's kind of fun. And the idea I mean, it would wouldn't be, it, wouldn't it be really annoying though if you're just like sleeping? You have like the night shift, then don't, 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 don't. You'd be like, oh no, they're going to battle. I just went to bed. Well, I mean, the red alert siren wouldn't be any better. Fair enough. <laughs> I think any alarm would be annoying. Yeah, but I liked it. I thought it was all right. Yeah, it was a good concept. Uh, I guess it's good to say the Osiris is probably intended to hold probably thousands of people. Which which is weird because they clearly can fly the ship okay with three, with three people. people and it's the ship you're right at least hundreds of people designed to and I was like they couldn't have just like had someone in engineering or someone in something else like I'm assuming something is not going well if you're able to you know cutbacks cutbacks <laughs> I mean I think that's sort of the something maybe they would run into more over the course of the series is having to staff the ship yeah perhaps because things kind of move at such a pace as they go like when Dettles attacks them they have no weapons and not that anyone even knows how to use them like they kind of are like general general Sorensen and thorpe are like i don't even know how to use these weapons i didn't how are they offline we don't mm-hmm. know so maggie flies them through what do they call it here a firefield a level 13 cometary fragment bombardment which is a planet in their sector is being hit by comets mm-hmm. and so the as they hit huge explosions are coming off the planet so she's sort of like flies like through an asteroid field she's dodging mm-hmm. and weaving and the daedalus is chasing her and finally the daedalus gets caught up in one of these explosions and is damaged and like shot away and they're able to escape yeah did you like that sequence or you seem pretty indifferent to it oh that was okay okay i thought the special effects looked okay i was a little disappointed they didn't kill sean at that moment not that i didn't think he was an interesting character but it i just was like seemed like the explosion was going to yes and i was just like oh now he's not i'm like well it wasn't wasn't that bad a thing to have gone through if, it, if you can get hit get hit by this huge fire thing and be okay but the explosions looked far more dangerous than they turned out to be that's what i mean yeah they maybe set those stakes at a weird a weirdly high level to for the reveal it was like oh he maybe sort of damaged the ship yeah but this is the part where for whatever reason and i will admit i maybe it's my own attention span people just start showing up on the ship <laughs> at this well, point that's it they've escaped they're sort of flying away trying to decide what they're going to do next and they get an alert on the computer saying that a ship is docked with them and someone is aboard the ship in the officer's lounge trying to use their Nutri-Center. He wants a milkshake, doesn't he? Yeah. The Nutri-Center, a knockoff of the Replicator. That first 30 minutes is a knockoff of Star Wars. And the like final like 45 minutes of the show is a knockoff of Star Trek. Yeah. They really combine the two ideas together. Like, we'll get all the fans. But yes, they, they rush down. And it's funny because as they're on their way there, they're talking about how do we get... The weapon's online again. And Thorpe's like, I know a guy who can do it. And when they throw open the quarter, the, the doors to the officer's quarters, there is Wally Bryce, mm-hmm. a, uh, a, the exact friend that Thorpe was just talking about. Yeah. And, and what we learn about him is um, he has the ability to sense things. Yes. He talks about how he has feelings and coincidences that help drive him forward, but he does not want to be called a telepath or a psychic. He hates that. He just has fairly reliable feelings. It was, that was weird. I mean, it was clearly something they were going to develop later on and, and kind of you get a better sense of what that means. But it's just like, he's got hunches. <laughs> I love that. The idea of a character whose hunches are just like abnormally reliable. That's that's a fun idea for a character. Yeah, okay. Where his, his hunches are just, they're pretty good. I just figure something like he's good at cards. He's good at poker. Yeah, just if he, if he has a hunch, you can kind of go with it. It's kind of, it's a, you know. He's a little bit of the Lando Calrissian, I think. He's just like, he's a bit of a scoundrel, but like, right. it's because he's good at things because he's just a little, he's a little psychic. Right. And But but we don't even get a time to really meet him because two more characters show up and one doesn't have nipples. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. 
he's going to be able to get the weapons back online, and he does. He goes and helps him with that. And they're telling him about their problems with Nova going missing and what's happening. And Wally's like, well, that's a happy coincidence, because what we're going to need to get Nova back is a good arbitrator, which I guess in this world, an arbitrator is a very important job because they can... They negotiate conflicts between races, maybe? Yeah, I've, I assume there was some sort of, like, intergalactic lawyer. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. I've never seen this in a show before. The idea was, like, there's someone who's just really good at finding solutions to problems. Like, he, they're very good at negotiating with people. And he just happens to have one on his ship. And, uh, yeah, it's Rula Kor. We are introduced to this now fourth or fifth character on the show mm-hmm. who is traveling with her associate, Janna, a Zentric. Yeah, and she doesn't have nipples. It's very true. Zentrics, I guess, don't speak. So what we have is a um, tall blonde woman whose costume is clearly designed to appear as if her breasts are completely exposed, but nippleless. <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> such an odd costume choice because the rest of the show it just doesn't lean in that direction. Yeah, it was weird. But here's the thing I'll say about the costumes. We should mention it now. In one way, I really liked the costumes. And what I liked about it was each person was clearly very distinct in their design and there was a thought about it. A lot of times when you're watching these kind of shows, I find the costumes end up being really bland and boring and everyone sort of looks the same. It's like, oh, they're all wearing a gray jumpsuit or whatever it might be. And in this show, like, what, what's the arbitrator's name? Rulacor. Rulacor. She's wearing like a corset. I don't know why. And old nipple woman, she's got her weird exposed breast costumes and the other guys john corbett's dressed like errol flynn for some reason and uh, they all and the generals in his thing so they all look distinct now i don't know if it seems to be a shorthand or a quick way to tell you something about the character that maybe is not entirely earned but i do like that they all at least uniquely look different yeah i don't i don't think it's a fault uh, to have a way of showing someone who this character is without having them have a lot of exposition is a great way of handling it like i think the costume designers did a great job i don't know i think it's i said it was okay also how do you know she's the only character who's nippleless you know what you're you're right i mean she's the only one who's proudly nippleless okay (laughs) we don't know if in the future has any nipples they might have two belly buttons who knows we don't know we we can't see it it's true the costume design is that good. They're completely <laughs> right. clothed. Okay, all right. But what do we find out about uh, Ruma Kaur? What's her name? Well, this is the big twist here, is that Rulakor is not just a negotiator. She's the daughter of the general and Maggie Sorensen's deadbeat mom. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of coincidences you kind of have to hand wave over on this, but yeah, sure. I mean, it's that tough thing of a pilot. They're trying to set up all the characters and get them all in the same place, and they really... Maybe hand wave a little too hard here by having a ship show up thanks to a hunch that happens to have all of your characters you're going to need for the rest of the show get off. Um, but yeah, you know what they could have done is maybe spent a, a, f- a few less trips of him going back and forth that staircase and spent a little more time introducing the characters. <laughs> That's, that yeah. is true. But we kind of get a not a bad scene here, an interesting scene where Rula tries to get together with her daughter and kind of talk to her and try to win her over because Maggie does not like her maggie's very unhappy to see her mother there well they've more than imply that the mom essentially abandoned her yeah apparently after her husband died and uh, maggie's father in the uh, the baton kato's war mm, that sounds fun uh, she couldn't take it so she kind of went off to live her own life and find that and left it with the be raised by her father so maggie has some hard feelings there rula feels like her dad is like 
turned her daughter against her. Like she feels like there's, you know, a bit of stuff. I mean, all of that's fair. And Rula is maybe not the greatest at talking to her daughter. Did you, did you hear her first line to her daughter when she walks in? No, what was it? I think she's trying to say like, put yourself in my shoes. But the way she phrases it, like the first line I think she says is, could you see yourself having kids in a few years? Oh yeah, that's like, right. She's 14. What I, what I liked about it was the note I put is, She's an arbitrator. Her her job is to like negotiate and be clearly know a lot about how people feel and talk and body language. And uh, she's clearly discussing with different cultures and races and species, but she does not know how to approach her daughter at all. And I thought that was kind of funny. I don't know if that was intended that way as of like, look at her real blind spot she has or just some bad writing. I mean, I think you're right. I think it's it's a blind spot, but you know, teenagers, am I right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Teenagers that you've left on a planet as you've gone off to wear wear corsets. and uh, That's always going to be a hard one to arbitrate, I think. Yeah. The daughter you've abandoned. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, okay. So this really kind of, that's it. Like we kind of have introduced all our leads, their relationships to each other. And the rest of the plot starts kicking off very abruptly when this crazy cloaked planet like uncloaks in front of them in mm. a pretty good effect. Like, yeah, I thought so too. On the view screen, this planet just like appears and it's all like techie, a little, a little like a Borg sphere or something. Mm-hmm. And what we come to learn very quickly is this is the home world of the engineers. So... Were they implying that no one knows where the engineers... They had implied that. They don't know where they're from. They don't know much about them. And what we're seeing here is it's because their home world is this free-floating planet. Now, they've, they're so technologically advanced, they've turned their planet into a spaceship that is cloaked and just travels the universe. Right. Okay. I Maybe I missed that. Yeah. No, That I think that is 100% the idea behind it. I'm not sure if it was driven home quite as hard as it could have been. But as I thought about it, I'm like, right, this is... This is see. And this is kind of interesting is they have a whole bunch of cool little sci-fi concepts that are in here that are almost set aside too much. And they sort of lean into like, here's our replicator, just like Star Trek. Or here's our, as we're going to see soon, teleporter, just like Mm -hmm. Star Trek. Whereas they've got cool ideas like the collector panels that power the ship. I'm like, I haven't seen on a sci-fi show. I'd like to know more about those. Here's a free floating planet. Like, I think you could get a lot of grist out of that mill. Mm. But I don't know if they, I think they maybe lean on the wrong elements that are interesting and maybe fall back on a few that are too cliche but at this point uh they get essentially hailed by the by the planet yeah and their leader i think it was their leader anyway a guy named shakla they say they say he's the elder of the society of engineers Uh, there we go shakla the elder of the society of engineers Uh, he explains to them we've got nova it's not a kidnapping prove it we're gonna invite you down to the planet you're the first visitors ever to come to our home planet Sorry about all this biscuit confusion. Like, we're going to straighten yeah. this all out with we, you. We know we took her in the middle of the night, and it looked really weird. Trust me, it's not weird at all. We're, it's, everything's transparent. Come on down. I did kind of like, it is very much, it was very much just like, hey, listen, our bad. It's not like they showed up and were like, hostile. like, hey, listen, you guys, we made a mistake. Also, I know it's a little distracting to see me talk when I have this weird skin stuff flapping into my lips. My Don't weird, worry about that. My weird mouth skin flap. <laughs> Perfectly normal. <laughs> we all have it. Don't worry. Watch us kiss. It's disgusting. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Right? Uh, <laughs> find that fan art, Jordan. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm already I'm already writing uh, my, my uh, fan fiction. What do you call Slash fiction? Yeah, sure. Two, two of the elders just... Making out. Just making out with their little weird... I don't I, I never see their tongues. I assume they have funny little tongues, too. Oh, yeah, probably. Protruding through the Little membrane. popping through little membrane. <laughs> oh, gross. So now that the team's assembled, they're like, all right, we're going to go down there. We don't trust these engineers. We don't know what's going on. Rulicor, being a negotiator, has a special tech she's developed that she sort of takes a big plunger 
or like injector and it sort of shoots this thing into everybody's brain. Mm-hmm. It's like essentially it turns your brain waves into like a broadcast of audio visual. Right. I mean, that's how you it's, it's right? so it's so someone can watch what you're seeing at all times. One of the things I actually really liked about the show was sort of how they dealt with this is we see her injecting them and we cut back to the bridge where uh, Maggie's flying the ship and we have a screen up. And what we're now seeing is everyone's POV mm-hmm. and like, like one, bubbles inside. There's of- little bubbles inside of them, like like picture in picture bubbles for everyone's POV. And then the main POV is up and they can switch between them. And the, but they're all kind of nice POVs. And I could see like you could use that to some very cool episode effects if you needed to do like a scary aliens episode where you're like on a dark ship wandering mm-hmm. around and you could like have just these POVs going. And I, it was an interesting piece. It doesn't come into play enough. Yeah, they just sort of do it, and then they go, "All right, there's a thing done." This, the show has. I think you you mentioned it not too long ago, but they do lean on maybe the less interesting things and like, oh, that's our kind of cool bit of technology. There's a cool thing, but they seem to go, yeah, don't worry about that. I know we came, we showed you a cool thing. We spent a bunch of money on it. Ah, next. Yeah, and I mean, the next piece of technology comes up because they're like, let's go to the planet, and they're like, do you guys have a spatial transverse system? Mm-hmm. And they're like, we do. And they actually have a conversation where they're like, oh, it's not a transporter. We used to break down people's molecules and move them across space and rebuild them. But there were a lot of accidents doing that. A real like kind of like jab at Star Trek. But the thing they're premising here is pretty good. It, they are talking about folding space. Like is that tra- what it was? Yeah, this this trans- spatial transverse thing, it, it basically folds space so that you just go to the place you're supposed to go to. I mean, the question becomes like, I'm sure they would get into it. It's like, maybe you can only do it for short periods of time. I'm like, why don't all your ships just fold time? Why, why travel through space? Just fold right. space. But the premise is what we see is when they go through it, we get a wavy effect like they're going through like an ocean or something and then they pop up on the other side. Uh, and I thought at least that was a nice way of taking a spin on a transporter in a new way. And uh, I think folding space is an interesting like. And the effect is kind of cool. They got this like yellowy swirl thing that goes around them. Yeah, it, it was it was a neat idea and a neat effect and a nice way of handling a transporter that's not a transporter. Um, and then I guess also giving the chance to get a dig in at Star Trek, which was a lot of these shows love to do because what, what show did it last? Oh, it was Space Above and Beyond was yeah. like taking a dig at the holodeck. But also like, come with I, the king, man. You come with the king, you get burned. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know, like, doesn't everyone love the holodeck? It's like, it's not like, like people like hate that. It's like, that's a fun concept. No. And I mean, you have to look at the shows that are doing it too. Like none of them survived. Right. It's just like, what well, I mean, I get it. You're different. But like, you know, maybe don't challenge the biggest thing in science fiction. Right. It doesn't seem to work out for you. Yeah. So anyways, we get down to the engineer's planet. Do they ever say what the planet's called? You know what? I didn't catch it if they did. It just seems to be referred to as their as their planet. Right. And it's interesting. They land on the planet. They meet uh, this fellow. Well, I think we'll, we'll just call it Genesis 2. Genesis 2. <laughs> All right. Sure. They land in and meet this fella, Chakla. And there's a fun thing here where he's like, let me give you a tour of our society and mm-hmm. explain our society to you. And then they just like jump forward 45 minutes. And he's like, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, and they're back into like because they have one set, which is like a, another circular set. It almost looks like not not like a gladiator thing, but it's very circular. And there's like I don't know, it, there's like little rooms off to the side, sort of thing. And that's the base skill, only really part you've ever see of the planet. Yeah, I mean, you know, they had enough for a couple sets. I, you know what? I'm gonna be honest. I didn't hate that they skipped that whole exposition. I mean, I was curious. I'd like to know more about their thing, but I was glad they were like weren't like now let's like Genesis two do a walk around tour where we explain everything to you. Yeah. It was kind of acknowledging it's like, maybe we'll skip that much exposition and move on because really they still do a ton of exposition moving forward. Because what it boils down to is 
the engineers of the species have rejected emotion because emotion causes extremes like tribalism and nationalism and cause fighting, which similar to the downfall of the Republic, which they've seen, they're trying to weed out of their society. They prefer to think of themselves as like cogs in a machine. And they're very progressive. They even mentioned at one point they're working to remove gender identity. Very progressive. Well, not even gender identity. They're just trying to stop gender. Like right. they want to get rid of the idea of gender because there's the fighting that comes between genders, I guess, is the theory behind this. Although, to be fair, thing. could you tell the difference between the female and male no, engineers? If you would ask me, no. And that, that's a, there'd be a real awkward dates happening. Yeah. Of course, everything seems OK until he talks about removing gender, at which point Thorpe's like, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> real yeah. Jake Cordigan or uh, the guy from Genesis like, yeah. no, oh, oh, no, no, oh, slow down there. Hold on. I was already halfway there. <laughs> Stop. And to that end, they have Nova. They've been re-educating her to kind of agree with their point of view on things. And um, they're a little suspicious because I guess what they're doing to get her to stop this is uh, what they call it narco-neuro repatterning to re-educate her. So they're kind of like brainwashing her basically. Right. But part of the reason they had to take her is they haven't perfected this genderless society with no sexual breeding yet. So they, in order to survive as a species, they have to like take, you know, kids who excel, geniuses and bring them into their society to, you know, fulfill this like higher cause as they mm -hmm. need smart people to help move them forward. And since they haven't sorted out uh, asexual breeding yet, this is the only way. What would you think of that plan? Does that seem like a, does it seem like a plan has is uh, foolproof? Well, what we see is this neuro repatterning they're doing is killing like half of the kids who do it. And I was like, it's not that hard to test tube a baby, you guys. Yeah. Like, I was just like, there's there's a one of these technologies is much more difficult than the other. And you guys have chosen the most difficult one to try to perfect. You could easily just clone each other. It's yeah. not that hard. Right. The European nations haven't stopped. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, the the, the what, do you, what do they call this in the intergalactic whatever? They probably don't have any rules against cloning. Well, I mean, not on this planet. There's not on this planet. No one knows where it is. Yeah. Try to enforce a rule here. Uh, I'm going to make a quick note here because um, we watch this, or I watch this anyway on YouTube. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. After I watched it, I kind of scrolled through because someone had posted this maybe five-ish years ago. It's the only thing he'd ever posted. And he was very active in his own comments. And there was a ton and ton of comments on it. People were really chatting about it. But what was really weird is in the last like six months to a year, like there's a whole bunch of fresh comments and people are going insane about this genderless society thing. They're like, these are Democrats. Like, they're drawing so many allegories to this mm. 1998 show. There's, like, so much stuff in these comments about, this is what they're trying to do to us. Turn us to this genderless society. We're all cogs and machines. we got to stand up to them. They're monsters. Just do, like so this people show are really shows us. Re Rewatching and, and seeing what they want to see. Yeah, there's, there's this weird science fiction nerd subset who is obviously very weird and in their own way trying to close down some of these ideas and they've really found this show and are rallying around it to be fair i think the worst thing you can probably do is spend time reading comments on youtube videos it's true i was just blown away by how many people have stumbled across this show 20 years later and have decided this is an allegory for 2018 yeah well uh, i'll tell you now it's it's not oh it, well that's what i'm just I'm like you guys this is a stretch at best yeah so are we almost at my favorite part? We're nearly at your favorite part, Jordan, because Nova is so special. The engineers love her so much. She's such a genius. She's even being considered to be the first outsider ever to join the Sublime Planum 
Oh yeah, is that what they call it? That's what they call it. I'm trying to remember the pronunciation, but I believe it is the planum. The planum, something like that. It's the sublime. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna call it the sublime planum, mm-hmm. and it is. You're right. The best part of this show. Yeah, it is, and I know they spent a lot of money on it, and I thought it looked wonderful. I'm gonna describe it. It is a weird organism that sort of looks like a dermoid of or like a poop person I, like thing. I, what would you call it i called it a huge gross pulsating blob with tentacles and faces spooging out of it <laughs> yeah that's that's about as good a description as you're gonna get it, and it looked great it looked like something out of uh the thing or something yeah, like that like that's a good one it, it definitely like very cronenberg like just gross and weird and blob. also up to this point in the show the show really hasn't done anything like that like it's like you know what I mean? Like they've had some a couple different alien races, and yes, they have this weird membrane on their mouth. But suddenly it's like, hey, by the way, gross thing, and you're like, holy moly! Yeah, it's a huge like interactive Muppet that like yeah, it looks like David Cronenberg or David Lynch came up with it or something because the faces like squish out of the membrane and talk to them. Yeah. And I, it, it, it looked honestly, I, I haven't seen anything like that. But I thought it looked great. Oh, it looked amazing. Like uh, I'll give you a little information about the planum, which I believe is what it, how it's pronounced. Is essentially it is an organic computer of some sort they basically transfer the greatest engineers like the smartest and best society into it or as they call it their souls into it Mm -hmm. so that they can hold on to their collective knowledge over time like it's it's you know uh, it makes sense it's a way to put the best of the best into a place so that you can always have access to it and it can help guide your society and there's a weird claim at some point where they're like oh yeah don't worry about the planum it's inert and i'm like it's clearly not inert and, yeah. and Wally, our uh, hunch-having psychic friend, it turns to someone, I think Duke Thorpe and says, oh, no, that's alive and that's in pain. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's it's weird that they do mention because, one, I don't know why you'd ever show anyone that and have this clearly bad lie. Like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. It's not, it doesn't, it's not alive. And it's like, it's clearly like a pulsating organ. Like, it's clearly alive and there's heads coming out of it and talking. It's, it's alive. I mean, it may not... Uh, how alive in the way we know yes but it's yeah yeah but, something's going but it on. is weird they said it's in pain because you don't get a sense of that but i mean no. this guy's got a hunch that but well, really what you were as if you were supposed to get is there's something very unnatural and unholy about this yeah, thing exactly and you know it's it's fun because it is really interesting like why would you show these to these people but it, it really shows the engineers are almost naive in their outlook on the world like they think they've come up with a perfect society and like like come eat our platinum isn't it great and yeah. it's like, no, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare come to life. And you're like, no, no, it looks pretty cool, right? Yeah. You, you, you didn't see his tentacle slopping over there? Did you see the tentacle? It's, it's just it's this oozing, oozing pus on the floor. Isn't that cool? Don't you like that? Um, but the planum slash the engineer sort of explains the philosophy with its like weird faces sticking out of membranes. It's like basically what they're going to do is force order on the universe by pushing these ideas of like being a cognitive machine and how it's going to work. And that's sort of their plan. So they're like, yeah, we're about to go over and fix the universe with our cool philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe at one point they're like, well, what if we don't want that? Uh, and they, they give the line. I think the planum says this is like, those who resist will be compelled which is a real poor man's resistance is futile. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine the poor come. Resistance is you. What was, what was the phrase? <laughs> Those who resist will be compelled. Yeah. Well, it's not nicer. Come on. Don't resist. Just be compelled. <laughs> um, and of course, our, our team from the Osiris is uh, just not into it. So the engineers are like, all right, fine. Uh, murder them. Yeah. <laughs> just 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 murder them, but I guess. They didn't plan on humans being so tricky. 
They well, they didn't plan on that, and they didn't plan on Warlord Sean showing up. Yeah, he came back. It looks like everything's okay on the ship with that minor minor fender bender they had yeah, with that. They got asteroid. it all fixed up. Their insurance company came by and <laughs> gave a quote. Uh, and they show up and they're like basically Maggie and Jana, the silent mute, is still on the ship and uh, they're like, Hey, where's Thorpe? A little pissed off about those jewels he stole. And they're like, Uh, he's down on that planet there and they're gonna kill him and he's and he like hails down to the engineers. I th- he says something like I couldn't find the exact quote, but he says something like, Hey, there's a line to settle scores with Thorpe, and I'm at the front of it. It's, it's a fun, it really shows he kind of likes Thorpe. He's just like, yeah. hey, you can't kill that guy. That guy's my guy to kill. He's my buddy. I'm yeah. going to kill him. And he goes down and starts shooting up the planet, mm-hmm. essentially giving them the chance to escape the engineers and, and make a run for it. And Thorpe uses the bio crystal he picked up from Dick Miller to try to like de-brainwash <laughs> That's Nova. That's a bad name, by the way. Dick oh, Miller. Oh, really? I think it's a great name. Dick Miller? Yeah. Who wouldn't like that name? It just seems like uh, someone whose job is to uh, produce dicks. <laughs> I thought he was like a cool detective. Oh, Dick Miller? Mm. You just picture what, a man. What is, what is your dad doing? Again? Oh, stop talking. No, no. What does your dad do? He's a miller. A miller? What, what, where does he work at the factory? He works in the dick factory. <laughs> Wouldn't that mean just grinding things up? Like yeah. Like this milling. Yeah. Like he's making flour, dick well, that's flour. What, that's what that old dermoid thing is made out of. The dick millers have been making them. <laughs> Your place, your brain, it goes to weird places. Sorry. No, it's fine. I like it. Um, but yeah, he uses this bio crystal to show Nova, which, you know, that classic way we've seen in all these shows of like deprogramming someone who's been brainwashed. Like, but what about this? Mm-hmm. Won't this fix your brainwashing? Yeah. You know what this reminded me a lot of? Do you remember way back in Tech War where of the partner was uh, turned into a mafia a person? Yeah. yeah. It was a similar sort of thing. Only I think in that... <laughs> Jake just strangles it out of her. <laughs> yeah, he just strangles it out of her. He's just like, you are not a gangster. But it's like, the same sort of thing. The person is brainwashed and you just, something is done can to compel them to. Yeah. Um, she sees something she's always wanted, this biocrit, and remembers, my brother loves me, so families are good, unlike my brainwashing told me. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, and I thought oddly, I mean, I guess it's because it was shot and they were trying to, for a pilot and they were trying to fix this. But as they're about to transverse back to the ship, they're all getting in the wavy thing and the engineers run up and like just pull her out of it so they don't rescue nova mm-hmm. she's kind of just tugged out of the spatial fold. fold and pulled back to the engineer ship and they lose her again and interesting i mean it's tough when this is a one-off movie because you're like you had just let her leave you would have solved the problem but yeah. i guess because well, they were planning this to constantly be a problem the series always well, well that was what i thought i'm like is literally the premise of the show going to be he's always trying to save his sister because that seemed like a one episode thing. He saved his sister, but now we know that the engineers are the bad guy. They're going to always be set up as a bad guy. And maybe they'll do other things, but it's like, oh no, he's just always going to be trying to save her. Yeah, because they're, they're going to be an invading force now. We know they're coming after the universe. I don't know if we need to do that extra level of like, also, I want to save my sister. It's like, you just save the sister now and then mm-hmm. that's fine. We can spend the rest of the time fighting these awful engineers. Yeah, yeah, it was an odd choice to add that stakes that we've just solved back into the show. Anyway, they get back to the ship. Thorpe, obviously, he's a brother. He wants to go back into his sister. But they're outgunned and outmanned. And uh, the general has to stun him with his stun gun because he can't risk this crazy person, like, driving them into Mm. the planet. Because basically the general has a plan. And that plan is they really need to rally the Republican loyalists that are left to basically fight this engineer threat that's coming, this thing that no one sees coming. Yeah. At this point, this is when we learn that He's sort of had, as you mentioned, he's had a long game going for a long time, um, which is 
he wants to rebuild the Republic as a, I guess, a defensive force or getting have yeah. the universe back into a sense of order. He just and, wants the Republic back. Yeah, and and the whole thing of getting uh, Thorpe and all the whole he he really uh, saving the sister was a secondary plan for him. It wasn't as important. Yeah, it's all part of the longer thing is hopefully he'll get the Republic back. And now they need it more than ever because there is a huge external threat and they have no defense against it. And he kind of gets into the long term plan was there is one last grandson remaining of I wrote it down here. It's so complicated. I know. I, I, I had to actually read about this after because I the, the plan is so convoluted and it seems weird that they're just going to drop it in a bunch of dialogue at the end, nearly end, end of the episode. Well, they drop it a little earlier on and then come back. Like I had to go back a couple times to find all the information, but he has basically squirreled away the grandson of the last proconsul of the Republic, Junius Cabell. Mm-hmm. They're like, we got to get this grandson. He'll be the focus point. Like all the Republic loyalists will be like, that's our leader. It is very strange to me. I'm like, we're going to get this Roman Empire back off the ground. Yeah. But the idea is, am I, am I wrong, Luke? The idea is we're going to get a guy who everyone can rally behind and rebuild the Republic. Yeah. And there's only really one guy who can do that. And everyone will look at that and go, yes. Oh, he's the guy. And, well, and he's the king's son. He's like, yeah. the king's back. Right. Uh, you know, I would argue one of the reasons your public probably fell apart. Maybe you shouldn't have followed a single individual, but that's fine. I, I understand your logic, I guess. And they basically take the Osiris off to the planet that they've stored this grandson on. But as they're arriving, they get like a call from the planet and the engineers are already there. Mm-hmm. They're wiping the planet off the, off the face of the universe. And the woman who basically was left in charge does one last big reveal of the episode. Mm-hmm. Do you, want to, do you want to give it to us? Yeah, the uh, the the future king, or whoever you call it, is actually Sean. Yeah, a warlord Sean ran away from his responsibility years ago and has changed his name to Warlord Sean from <laughs> uh, whatever Cabell name he had before. Yeah. And he is their only hope of getting the Republic back together. Mm-hmm. What a twist. What a twist. And I was, you know what? I was grateful. I didn't see it coming. I thought maybe because they had implied that Thorpe had been abandoned by his family. I thought maybe we were going to learn it was Thorpe at some point. But I, for some reason, was really charmed by this warlord. So when I found out the warlord was also like key to the show. Well, it was, it was like, nice great. that what you as a viewer expect is the classic, guess what? This uh, ragtag group, the the guy who's like the Han Solo, he's the king we've all been waiting for. It's like, oh, I haven't seen that before. But they didn't go in that direction. To their credit, they went, hey, remember this other weird minor character who is like, he's the king. It's like, oh. That was and so I I, yeah. I like that they did something different. I mean, I guess we could have guessed it by the title of the show, The Warlord, but uh, we didn't. So that's what they got us. Yeah, Thorpe is now forced to go back to Caliban Six, his home world, to basically ask Sean's help. They have a fun uh, uh, electricity whip fight for a few yeah. minutes. Yeah. Like Thorpe or Sean's got an electricity whip, and he just keeps trying to whip. Thorpe yeah, with it. it's very much like remember uh, the first time the Frangie showed up in Star Trek. They had those little electric. Oh whips? yeah, yeah, it was like that. <laughs> But uh, Sean comes around like they tell him his home planet where he grew up and the woman who raised him died. And he kind of like, all right, well, you're right. We need to talk about this. This is obviously bigger than just our little feud. And, you know, I also kind of like you anyway, like Mm -hmm. we're buddies. So let's Mm -hmm. do this. But basically all Sean will agree to is like he's going to think about this Republic thing. He's not 100 percent convinced. He left that life. He doesn't want to be that. He doesn't want to follow his father's footsteps or his grandfather's footsteps. But he's not against it. He's going to help out where he can. He also doesn't want the Osiris, and he's going to leave that to Thorpe. He's like, Thorpe, this is yours. You're in charge now of putting together a fleet. Maybe I'll help out. Maybe I won't. I got to think about it a little bit. But uh, this is this is yours now. You're you're off to go into the into the future and fight mm-hmm. the engineer threat. 
Or save your sister, because apparently that's the plot. Or both of them, yeah, I guess. And it kind of ends here, because he's basically left with this challenge. Thorpe has to defeat the engineers, save his sister, and it ends with another voiceover, because it's just like, you know, front-end, back-end voiceover. Mm -hmm. And the last line is Thorpe saying, and that's the story these chronicles will tell. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just like... That's nope. weird. They're not going to tell that. And also, yeah. it's not called the Osiris Chronicles in this, yeah. in this pilot. Well, it was, it, yeah. And it was weird that, I mean, from what, again, we had talked about it from the very beginning of this podcast is that this was recut to be a TV movie, but it doesn't play like a TV movie. It plays exactly like an extended pilot. Well, here's what's interesting about those YouTube comments. In between all the craziness, there are several people weighing in the YouTube comments saying, hey, I've seen this before, but the version I saw had a narration by the warlord oh really and a different name so there's another version of this pilot that was cut that aired somewhere hmm. that was done from the warlord's perspective in the voiceovers oh really oh i'm gonna have to try to find that Which, i didn't realize that in some ways makes so much more sense like i i do like the idea of that sort of bait and switch you keep seeing the story and it's like oh but by the way he's not the main person i wonder if that would be better well i i think it would be fine with thorpe still leading it and like this side character who we know will eventually need to rise to his ranks. But it doesn't make more sense to be like the final reveal being like, and that's why I sent Thorpe off to do this because I'm trying to decide if this is my, I don't know, something. So it's interesting. People And people who commented on it seemed to prefer the other the other voiceover, probably because it maybe tied things together a little cleaner. I'm not sure. Hmm. Anyway, very interesting that there's some secret other version out there, perhaps going by the Osiris Chronicles. I'm going to see if I can find it. Right now. I was looking right now. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that wraps up the show and we can maybe get some final thoughts and do the ratings, I guess, because I don't have a lot more to talk about. I, I I think here's what I think. I think you liked it more than I did. I thought there was a lot of nuggets of some fun things and I think there was clearly some talent involved, but I think the execution mixed, missed the mark a little bit. And I don't know if it was just, I, I don't know, I have to think about it more. I don't know if it was too much was jammed in or was not enough jammed in, but it had some pacing issues it had some plot issues but i didn't hate it script wise it was definitely a mixed bag it suffered from the things that i think we just see in general and pilots as having to do a lot in a little space of time mm -hmm. some of the stuff was really good some of it was a little too cliche I, overall though like the production design for me you know it wasn't like the greatest production design. it's a little cheesy a little stuff but it, like fun fun they did they, they did go for it and i like that i mean we we we, we moved past it pretty quickly but even like little things where we meet wally the uh the the sidekick to to thorpe is like your, one of your favorite things it's the thing he's ordering out of that machine is uh, a gelinar supreme which is this weird looking drink in a weird looking cup yeah i like those things like all kinds of little touches that like clearly show that someone was like, ah, oh, it's a little bit of a fun sci-fi, so we're going to have some weird, like, mm -hmm. Flash gordon or like, weird throwback stuff, and then we're going to have a weird blob monster that comes out. And, like, even just the production design on, like, the costumes and the character faces, like, stuff was yeah. working. It, I just, and it's, maybe it's an unfair criticism. I wish they almost leaned into it more, because, and, and it could have just been that maybe there just wasn't a budget for it, or maybe there just wasn't enough time for it. But those sort of things that worked, I felt there just wasn't enough of them. I think there was enough for me. I think it was there. I think getting Joe Dante to make this was the right call. I think he brought the fun and love that he brings into like a Gremlins or something. Because mm -hmm. there was cool effects and cool ideas and cool things happening. It just, yeah, it was hit or miss with the script. 
I think because it was so plot heavy and they were just trying to force so many things into it that it just meant like bam, bam, bam. And then they made some errors in that script where they're like sent a little too much back and forth to being like, go to the Warlord steps, go back home, go to the Warlord steps, go to the spaceship, go to the Warlord steps, go back to the spaceship. Like there's a lot mm. of just jumping back and forth that could have been. And once they get past that it, and put the people in the yeah. ship, they I jump actually, right into I it. I actually marked it. Once they hit about the 33 minute mark is when things kind of took off. The first... 30 minutes of the show was a lot of setup but not a lot of important setup like you're saying like a lot of you know it felt shoe like, leather as yeah, it were it was like a little genesis 2e for the start i thought mm. that's all we we're gonna get was like kind of these oak these pretty good sets but nothing like spectacular but kind of once we get up to the ship and start seeing it unravel into this giant space whale and and something i read and i don't know if it's true or not is that a bunch of these sets on this uh were repurposed for andromeda that they took them and just like redressed them. Oh, interesting. I don't know if that's true, but but I saw a thing and they were showing pictures of the again, I not having seen Andromeda, pictures of their bridge and the other bridge, they do look very very similar. You know, it's interesting too is a lot of the uh, these YouTube comments provided me a lot of insight. A lot of people in the YouTube comments were talking even about how plot-wise it felt like Andromeda. Hmm. And I I haven't seen it. I mean, I probably saw one ages ago, but I just don't remember it at all. So I maybe maybe pieces of it like you said, apparently paramount was trying desperately to turn this into something yeah so maybe they were like well let's just retool it into they, something else yeah they like we've got the sets let's tear down the details and rebuild it as something else and they brought someone in i mean i don't know um interesting though maybe we'll find out when we watch andromeda Ooh, one day <laughs> yeah one day not not next week though. no nope <laughs> all right jordan what do you want to rate uh, the warlord battle for the galaxy i'll tell you well, you tell me first what you give it i'm gonna give it a seven I think I see I knew you were going to go higher than me if it had gone to series they would have had to fix a lot of problems and like to make it work Mm -hmm. but I think for an hour and a half of the shows we've watched before there were just there was a lot for me to enjoy as I watched it I like had a great time particularly as we got further into the episode the character turns were good the relationships between the warlord and Thorpe were good the crazy engineers turned out to be more and more exciting the more I got to see of them See, I'm I'm kind of. At first, I thought I was giving it about a five and a half, but now I'm thinking, mate, you might have convinced me a little bit more. So I think I'm going to give a six. I think I, I think is I think your your enjoyment of it has pulled my ranking up a little bit more. But I do I do feel the second half was much better than the first half. And if they had trimmed it down and just kind of got going and and it's funny because when I was watching it and the part where the engineers came and fixed the ship and stuff, I was like, who cares? Just move on, have the ship work. And I realized that's a plot point later on. But at the time I was like, geez, how much time are we going to spend with these guys fixing a ship and stuff? And there was moments like that where I was like, all right, guys, let's get to it. Let's get to it. You're not wrong. It wasn't a perfect script, a perfect pilot. And I think what you're saying is it was retooled so many times. I mean, who knows if there was ever actually a great pilot there? Mm -hmm. Probably not. But yeah, it certainly has a long time finding its legs. And even when it does, there's pretty shaky still. But uh, from a watching perspective, it was fun. Yeah, I I did too. It wasn't, it wasn't a drag to get through. Yeah. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. Uh, Next week, we'll be back. We're going to go into a new series. We're going to watch Galactica 1980. Yeah, ooh, 1980, how science fictiony. It's the future. It's it's yeah, it's, it's the most scientific year there was. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, if you want to tell us anything we missed about uh, Warlord here or our Cyrus Chronicles, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And I think our Instagram and Twitter will be full of some pretty cool, gross blobby things. Yeah, if, if, if it was all to me, it would just be every day would just be another another shot of that blob thing. Got great news for you, Jordan. 
it is up to you. <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh, here we go. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Continue Drag to see how much blob Jordan puts up. <laughs> um, and thanks for listening. And Jordan, I'll see you next week. Yeah, I'll see you then. All right. Bye. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Ruxiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright. <laughs>